You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Show. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, and thank you very much for being back here with us again this week. Well, you know what? We wanted to talk about pet training and pet nutrition this week. And, and so we're going to be bringing Dr. Brett Bauscher on to talk all about pet nutrition, a lot about dogs, a little bit about cats, and we're going to be talking all about that in the second half of today's episode. But along the pet training lines, there is a great story that has recently popped up here in the Treasure Valley of Idaho, and that's about a gentleman named Jeff Clausen. Uh, who took his first dog, well, not his first dog, but his first cow dog that he ever entered in competition trials to probably one of the biggest cow dog competition trials in the nation down in Red Bluff, California, and ended up doing very well, winning the trial, and then selling his dog named Gertie for a record $30,000. We've got him on in our first half of the show today to tell us the story, talk to us about how he got involved in this, tell us about Gertie, where she's going to now, and how he was able to have such success so early on in his experience training and doing field trials with cow dogs. Really looking forward to bringing both of those interviews to you and talking to you all about pet training as well as nutrition in this week's episode. So let's start it off with an interview of Jeff Clausen right now. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me on. You bet. You bet. Well, hey, I read all about you selling your herd dog, Gertie, for $30,000. Was that a new record? Well, as far as what I've been told, it's it's a new record. I'm actually, I'm kind of new to this, and it's all came pretty fast. But yeah, that's what they say. Well, it's pretty amazing, and uh, I love watching herding dogs work, especially a good cow dog. It's it's pretty amazing to do, and it's interesting to talk to you that this all kind of comes new to you. Yet you're selling a dog for a new record, so I think we're going to have to get into that and figure out how that happened. I'm not sure exactly how it happened, to be honest with you, but. It took place. <laughs> well, we know that much at least. Well, let's let's talk about yeah. you for a second. So uh, you live here in the Treasure Valley of Idaho, right? Yeah, I live in Melba. Okay. And what what's your full-time job? What do you do for a living? So I work for Hepburn Livestock. So um, right now I manage a calf ranch, and we take calves from day-olds to 400 pounds, and then we have a finished yard where we take them from 500 pounds to, you know, 1,300 so you're out and working with calves all the way up to uh, feeding them out in a feedlot then? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And do you... It's all a feedlot setting. Okay. And do you use dogs in the feedlot on a regular basis? Yeah, I try well. I don't as much now as I used to, but I still make time. It's just one of the deals that I, I kind of always had dogs. And then in the last two years, I bought Gertie, which was my first dog. And at that point, I thought, what in the heck am I doing? You know, because I'd never bought a dog uh-huh. Everybody's always had, had ranch dogs and decent dogs or whatever. But anyway, yeah, I bought Gertie and two years ago from Robin Brown. And gosh, it's just been a roller coaster since. So had you been involved in training or working herd dogs at all before Gertie? No, yeah, like I said, I'd always had dogs. I just had never actually learned the right way to train them with uh-huh. pressure and release. They're just like a horse, you know. And I bought Gertie and took some lessons from Robin. She'd been great as far as helping me with her the whole time. And then I kind of got into the trialing and using them at work because, you know, they're beneficial when they're used right. You know, uh-huh. kind of thing is everybody wants to be a cowboy and have a cow dog. And 
it's kind of ruined a lot of people to what these dogs can actually do if you take the time to train them right. Yeah, you know, that's funny. I can vouch for that from firsthand experience. I was a herdsman on a ranch down in southern Idaho for about a year uh, down out of Minidoka. And uh, we had a dog down there that really didn't know how to work. And, and I think that kind of created more work for us than maybe was even there to start with. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It, it does that pretty fast, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. that's And it's put a bad taste in a lot of these guys' mouths, you know, on, on dogs. Sure. And I think from all this, I just hope it kind of really opens people's eyes to what, like I said, what they're capable of doing. If, if a guy takes the time and trains them outside of work, for 15, 20 minutes every night, you know, mm-hmm. it can be a great tool and asset to a ranch or a feedlot or what breed of dog is Gertie? She's a border collie, a border collie. And you've had her for two years. Border. Is she the dog that you, you first started going to trials with? Yeah, actually, that's what I was saying. I bought her from Robin as an eight week old pup. You know, what's funny is, you know, I didn't really know Robin that well at that time. And I met him over there in Weezer and got the dog and I got the pup and, her husband said, Rocky says, good luck with that son of a gun. And I was like, huh? <laughs> like, I thought it was maybe just a self speech, right? I didn't know any different. And and I got her home and gosh, dang, I'd never been around a pup that herded everything, would drag the kids down playing with them and lick them in the face and they'd run from her and she'd chase them. And it was just crazy to me how that little dog at eight weeks old had so much drive. Mm-hmm. Jeff, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to ask you some more about this great story and Gertie. For comfortable, practical workwear, look no further than Wrangler Riggs Workwear, available at D&B. Wrangler Riggs Workwear is worksite-ready clothing that includes reinforced seams and stitching, deep handy pockets, heavy-duty buttons and zippers, and additional support where you need it, without the heat, heft, and stiffness of traditional workwear. All in all, it's workwear with a touch of tech for the modern man. Round up some Wrangler Riggs workwear today at your favorite D&B supply. When you think about pet food, what comes to mind isn't normally something deserving of your best friend. But at D&B, you'll find a line of pet food that's so real, you can serve it on a plate. Earthborn Holistic Pet Food. Earthborn Holistics cater to your pet's primal needs, blending a variety of nature's finest proteins with other whole food ingredients for a kibble they'll love to nibble and will keep them healthy and happy, too. Earthborn Holistic Dog and Cat Food, available at your favorite D&B supply. Jeff, now that we're back, I wanted to ask you, how quickly, once you start training a dog like Gertie, can they start working cattle? You know, they say not to put them on cattle until they're, you know, a a year old. And and she had so much go and so much natural instinct that, you know, I'd work her on the sheep and it was just not enough for her. And then I finally started working her on cattle at about six months old and training her every day at home and taking lessons from Robin. And we entered our first trial when she was like nine months old mm-hmm. and in Druzy, Oregon. And we went over there and just smoked them. I don't, wouldn't say smoked them, but we won the trial. And that's when it finally kind of started realizing what I had there because people were like, holy crud, where'd you get that dog? You know, that's a nice dog. And I knew she was all right, but I wasn't sure exactly what she was then. Mm-hmm. And then I think over the last year and a half, we'd won three different trials and placed in the top and a few other ones. And it was like, wow, people were like, gosh, dang it, don't, don't ever get rid of that dog. Well, then I had a chance to purchase her sister, mm-hmm. which 
out of the two, I kept the one that I thought was going to be the best. And uh, so I got her sister still at home and I sold Gertie and I had a chance to go to Red Bluff. Well, you know, I always heard that's the big stage, right? And um, I wanted to take something good there, right? And so I thought, well, this would be a chance to maybe get my name out there a little bit for having some decent dogs. And I was a little nervous about what would take place just because, you know, like I said, that's the big stage and that's all the big names yeah. that go down there. And I guess we went down there and did better than we thought we were going to. So let me understand, because I think I got a little crossed up. So you went down there with Gertie or with Gertie's sister? Gertie. Oh, Gertie. with Gertie. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I have two of them. They're both sisters from the same litter. And I, you know, I, I got a few of these dogs at home. I, it's not a job and I don't want, didn't want to have a whole bunch of dogs. And I thought, well, I want to take something good to Red Bluff, right? So I took Gertie because she was a little more trained than her sister. Mm-hmm. But I did see a lot of good stuff in her sister that I really liked. And I think if in the next year, she's going to really shine herself, to be honest with you. So you went to Red Bluff and you're talking Red Bluff, California, uh, down there in Tehama County, yeah. right? Okay. And yeah. and so you went down there, you won the field trials? Yeah, we well, they do like a three-day competition where you it's judged on control of the cattle, control of the dog, and the ability to stop the cattle. Okay. And we went down there and we uh, scored an 83 the first day, which tied for first. And then the second day we got first, which was 88 points. And I think we got 84 or something on the third day. Okay. And then from there you go right into the ring and they sell the top dog, the winning dog first from the three days. And that's when I sold Gertie. Wow. So those people being impressed with Gertie and wondering where in the world you got that dog did not stop. It went right through the uh, the sales ring there at Red Bluff. Oh, man, it was insane. <laughs> I just never would. I never would have guessed in a million years my first year there. I'd do what I did, I guess. Oh, I, I know. Now, who bought her? Breck Hunksaker out of Preston, Idaho. He's got, I don't know, three or 400 head of cows down there. And he does some trialing and different stuff. So is she going to is she going to continue working cattle or is he going to breed her and try and get pups and sell even more? You know, I don't know what his plans are. I can't speak for him, but I know he's got some cows and he'll work her on those cows. And I know he enjoys trialing. So I think he's got a, a big future in the trialing world also. Mm-hmm. Just because she was such a rounded dog where she could work inside at feedlots, she could work outside on the ranches and she could go in the arena and in trials too, you know. Yeah. So I think that's his big plan is try to go a little further with the trialing world. Well, now you said that uh, you would come home after work and you would practice for 15 or 20 minutes a night. Does that mean you have cattle and sheep at your place as well in Melba? Yeah, I got a few sheep and some white calves that, you know, kind of train on the dogs a little bit with. The sheep is where I start them, you know, and then mm-hmm. and I think they're mature enough and trained up enough to move to cattle, then I'll start them on some light Jersey cross calves. And then from there, we'll venture to the calf ranch and teach them how to pull cattle from pens and bring cattle back down the alley without putting a lot of pressure on them. Uh Just kind of builds their confidence, to be honest with you. And do you control your dogs with, uh, with voice controls? Do you use hand signals or do you, a combination of the two? How do you do that? I think it's just a combination of, you know, three, you know, the pressure, directing them with your hands and not saying anything. And then you put a word to that direction. And then from there on, you can put a whistle to that. 
Okay. You know, and I'm not a dog trainer. I don't know much about training them. I've taken some lessons and, and kind of picked up off on some stuff pretty fast. But, you know, I, to be honest with you, I couldn't really tell you how to train a dog. <laughs> I can show you, but I can't really. It's hard to explain, you know. So I've been lucky to have Robin and, and Rocky to guide me through this in the last two years. And one of the things I read about you is that, uh, and I don't know how accurate this was, but what I read was that, uh, a lot of people try and keep their distance, like keep a boundary between them and their working dogs. But with you, uh, Gertie was on your lap and she was a pet and she's a family pet. And that worked really well in your situation. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, I think that's part of the, you know, the old timers, you know, it's the working dog and you don't let the kids play with them. But every one of my dogs, the kids can go out and play with them in the yard. You know, they're around people at work all the time. She sat in my stands on the second, or on my lap in the stands on the second night of that trial down there, that competition. Mm -hmm. And she just sat on my lap and watched the rest of the dogs work. You know, she's just a, they're all real personable dogs, you know, so I don't think I would have ever got as far with her if she wasn't that, right? Right. In my opinion. Yeah. You know, she just, she was just a good all around dog little bond. Well, and speaking of that bond, so how does that work when she transitions now from you to her new owner and he's going out to work cattle with her and do trials with her? Is she going to respond as well? Or does that take a lot of time for her to kind of develop that new bond? I don't think it will. You know, that little red dog, I, you know, I could have kept her and, you know, and had these other four or five dogs at home and, and been selfish and, and, you know, left her locked up because, you know, I was working these other pups and I really liked doing it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it didn't matter who took that little red dog and put her in front of cows. She would work for you or the next guy just the same as she would work for me, just because that's what she's bred to do, right? Yeah. And so I needed to think outside the box and, and think about her versus myself, to be honest with you. She was two years old. She was in her prime, ready to work. I hate to see her waste at home just so I could keep her and get pups or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's that's a very nice decision if you let her work. And I think some people probably are like, how could you let your dog go? But on the other yeah. hand, it's it's <laughs> it's it's being pretty nice to her because she gets to go do what she wants to do. Yeah. And that's what they're bred for. You know, they're bred to do it. And they love to do it. Yeah. I didn't think it was fair for her, especially when I kept her sister. You know, sure. I got her at home now. So it's like, well, I had to let something go. Yeah. And I guess it was the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's there's certainly uh, there's no better vote than with people's pocketbook, and I think they would they think you made the right decision, right? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty incredible. No kidding. Well, on, on those fifteen or twenty minute training sessions in the evening, what would you have her do? Uh, you know, we'd work on her control and listening, her ability to, I guess they say an outrun to make a nice outrun. And kick out far to where she gets behind the cattle instead of running straight at the cattle. Her ability to pick the cattle up without causing too much commotion, you know, or mm -hmm. putting too much pressure on the cattle to where they blow up. Yep. Her ability to bring them to me, you know, we'd set up little obstacles and put them in pens and, and different stuff like that. Just fine tuning them, I think. You know, you get at work and you're pulling pens and you're doing stuff real fast. It was always, it was just my way of getting home and then making sure she remembered that control. Very fun. Well, that's a, her ability to do stuff right, you know. But. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I'll tell you what, a good cow dog is a lot of fun to be around and a lot of fun to watch work. And uh, what a what a great bond between you and she. And then what a great way to end this story with this new record and her getting to go off and work even more cattle. Uh, it's a great yeah. story. So happy to, to be able to speak with you about it, Jeff. Thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing that story with us here today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. It's been uh, a little... I just never thought it would go this big, right? Like it was trip to Red Bluff my first time. And now <laughs> there's people like you calling and, you know, everybody seems to be caught up in the story and it's, it's neat. It's neat to be part of it. Well, it's a great story. And so everybody wants a piece of it. And uh, I, I do appreciate you letting us uh, have our shot at talking with you about it too. All right. Thank you. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will have Dr. Brett Bowser to talk all about your pet's nutrition. Your puppy needs the very best to grow up big and strong. That's why D&B stocks Science Diet puppy food for standard and large breed pups. Science Diet's got all the nutrition essential to keeping their little tails wagging and their teeth sharp while supporting their immune systems and controlling growth. And with the highest purity and quality standards, Science Diet gives you nothing but the good stuff. Choose Science Diet Puppy Blend for maximum puppy licks. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Is cold weather holding you back from doing the things you love? You don't stand a chance of getting chilled when you wear Carhartt. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Hardworking and good-looking, Carhartt makes extra-warm jackets, pants, sweatshirts, and more for men, women, and even kids. They're water-repellent, insulated, and tough as nails to stand up to any task that sends you out in the cold. Stock up on winter essentials, then get right back out there with Carhartt. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming back on. Glad to be here. Really am. Well, good. Well, hey, we are highlighting dog and cat and pet nutrition and training this month. And I thought, well, let's get you back on the phone so we can talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about dog nutrition. And I'm, to be honest with you, I don't know much about it. I've I've always kind of looked at dog foods and, and looked at price of bags and went, oh, that must be a good one. But I bet that's not the right way to do it. Well, it, it is to a point. I, I think that we, I tend to think of dog foods in about three main categories. Those that are probably what you typically find in the grocery store environment, although there are exceptions, but generally, you know, you're, you know, come and get it out of the way. That type of thing may be kind of what's considered the lower tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the middle tier is typically found more in feed stores like B and B and so on. And that would be, you know, like your pro plan science diets, Royal Canin, those types of brands. And then there's what are referred to as sort of the elite brands, which, you know, in some cases maybe are worth the money spent. In some cases you end up with some expensive droppings in the backyard, you know, is about all you get out of that. But, okay. And it's a, it's a difficult thing to sort out as to which ones are really truly premium diets. And then again, whether or not your pet really needs a premium diet. But yeah, I, I would say generally I tell my customers to pick that middle tier because I think the added expense is repaid to you in truly a better quality food. So am I understanding right then that the middle tier, what, however we kind of define that, is where you recommend people be? It is. And I think it's, you know, from a veterinary point of view, you know, when I'm trying to make recommendations, of course, I want to have objective reasons for doing that. And when you're dealing with, with a lot of the companies in that middle tier, those are companies that I can actually get good information about the ingredients and about the formulation of the diets. When you start to get outside of those main companies, like like I said, Purina, Iams, 
so on, it's difficult to obtain the information that you really need to answer the question as to whether or not it's truly a good diet. They all have some information on the bag. Honestly, that information is, is sometimes difficult to interpret, even though I had a background in my undergraduate as nutrition and also training in veterinary school as nutritionist. It's very difficult for me to, to learn much by reading dog food labels, not because I don't know what these things mean on the label. It's because, unfortunately, a lot of the information isn't there. So I have to, to trust somewhat the integrity of the company. And even if you can't trust the integrity of the company, if you stick with companies that, that typically do um, provide a lot of uh, research and development, um, you can be sure that they are actually testing each other's products. So that tends to keep them honest. But um, outside of that, I'm not saying that there aren't some very small dog food companies that make excellent foods, mm-hmm. but it's just difficult to determine who's who. Well, let's start with kind of a baseline. What do we need to have in dog food for, I guess, optimal health for our pets? Well, at the very lowest, I think there's a governing body over the pet food industry, it's called AFCO, uh, Animal Control Feed Officials, and they, they determine what would be a minimum standard. And the essentially what that tag on the side of the bag is saying is that that particular food has met those standards. So, you know, that may be setting the bar fairly low, but at least if they've met those standards, you know that it's, it's a well-balanced diet. And so beyond that, you get into a, an area where you have to first define what are, what are we trying to accomplish with this food? Or for instance, why would my one person's pet need a higher level of nutrition than another animal's pet? And that can be difficult. You know, for instance, the definition of a working dog sometimes can be uh, a difficult thing to pin down mm-hmm. and whether or not an animal needs superior, if that even makes sense, uh, nutrition but in general, most pet foods that are available commercially, I would say for the average dog, are going to be adequate. All right, Dr. Bauscher, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I want to ask you some more about this. During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at D&B Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field with continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright, stop on by select D&B Supply Stores for Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment. When you love your dogs and cats like members of the family, you feed them like family too. Dish out the best nutrition for your furry little friends with Blue Pet Food, available at D&B Supply. Blue starts every dog and cat food recipe with real meat then adds in garden vegetables and antioxidant-rich fruit. Blue Pet Food does not contain artificial flavors, colors, or preservatives. Plus, there's never any corn, wheat, or soy and no chicken or poultry byproduct meat. For every four-legged member of your family, stop on by D&B Supply for blue pet food. All right, Dr. Bauscher. So we've talked all about what we need in dog food for health. And then you see a lot of things on pet food bags or commercials and things like that, talking about like the the dog's hair coat and, and things like that and, and variations when it comes to whether or not the dog's older, it's a puppy, uh, the size of the dog, all of that. How do those things play in? Some of the things that you just mentioned are very important. For instance, it's important for puppies to eat a puppy food. 
that would be just one example. Um, the older dog, that's a little bit more debatable as to whether what exactly are the specific needs of an older dog versus a, a middle-aged dog. But when you mention puppy, you know, the puppy food is different because the calcium-phosphorus ratios are different, which um, that's very important. And the energy density can be different. And then you also hit on a topic that I think is also uh, very critical, and that is a, it's sort of a subtopic of puppies, and that is the, the regular breeds, if you will, versus the giant breeds. And for the giant breeds, it's very important that not only do they have the correct calcium and phosphorus ratios, but that the caloric density is a little less than what a standard puppy food would be, prevent them from having rapid growth, which can present various different orthopedic problems. So um, as far as foods that are specifically targeted towards uh, a dog's uh, age and lifestyle and that type of thing, certainly the puppy versus the, the adult food is important. And we usually recommend that when after the puppy's done about 80% of its growth, you know, what you, what you would anticipate its adult body weight would be, that's a good time to switch over to an adult food. And of course, that's going to be different depending on the size of the dog. I mean, it might be nine months for average breed dogs for your, for your giant breeds. It might even be out to 15 to 18 months. But, but definitely puppy versus adult is very important. Well, that's one to keep an eye on then. And I guess that makes a ton of sense. If they grow too fast, then as they're developing their bones and, and their joints and ligaments and all that, that can create problems. It can, and it's probably one of the areas that I see mistakes made in more than anything else. A lot of times people will tell me, well, you know, to get around this this more expensive giant breed puppy food, what we did is we just switched them over to an adult food. And they kind of have it half right where they want to have that caloric density reduced so the dog isn't getting so many calories per mouthful but they still need that calcium and phosphorus ratio to be correct for the puppy. Calcium and phosphorus is one area that we can get into a lot of trouble. And it seems it's kind of counterintuitive for a lot of people because they are intuitively think that since a puppy is laying down more bone, that they should be over supplemented with calcium. Mm -hmm. And while that kind of makes sense on, on the surface, it's, it's absolutely the wrong thing to do. It's very important that that calcium and phosphorus ratio be correct. So again, that's that's one area that, that I think people can cause a lot of nutritional problems. There are some foods out there. I know Purina, for instance, makes, some, makes one that say that they're adequate for all stages of life. And that's, that's sort of a, a it, it's not a false statement. It's just basically saying, yeah, it's okay. It may not be optimal, but it's okay. But uh, for the most part, I tell people stick with puppy foods when they're puppies and adult foods when they're adults. You mentioned the working dog earlier, and, and that was kind of difficult to quantify. Let's talk about hunting dogs really quick. Dogs are going to be used for waterfowl, maybe upland game, those type of dogs. Even dogs people are, are running, you know, cats or bears with up in the mountains. Does the, the way they're being used, does that change their nutritional requirements? It sure does. That's when I, I really try to sit down with a, a client and get a real uh, feeling for what they mean by working dog. For instance, you, you mentioned two different things there. The hunting dog, which may be the weekend warrior and very much like its owner. I mean, the owner doesn't need to go on, you know, uh, some sort of an, uh, an elite nutrition program as if they were an Olympic athlete just because they're going to go hunting for the weekend. While they may expend a lot of energy, the rest of the week they really don't need that food. So you have that category of hunting dogs 
But then you also have the, the dogs that go to work every day and that the real endurance dogs and um, whether they're, they're cow dogs or in this area, we don't see a lot of things like sled dogs. We do see some. But some of these extreme athletes and maybe police canines, that especially the tracking dogs and so on like that, they may actually need to have their nutrition adjusted a little bit. For those dogs that really are, are extreme athletes, we certainly want to see a different type of nutrition than you would for the weekend warrior. And, and those dogs really, they definitely need a, a higher fat, higher, lower carbohydrate type of a diet mm-hmm. because we know that that's better type of nutrition for, for your endurance dogs because of the way that that works for, you know, basically storage of energy in the muscles and things like that. Um, fat is a better source of energy for those dogs than, than your high carbohydrates. We know that carbohydrates, increasing carbohydrates is important for dogs once they've recovered from their exercise. But then you kind of get into trouble. Well, what, what kind of diet can we recommend somebody go buy off the shelf that's going to do everything? And I don't know that that's even available. Um, we, okay. You know, these dog foods are kind of a solid state product. We can't pick out the fat parts and the, and the high carbohydrate far, parts when we want to. So we may have to do some supplementation and so on. But for the average dog, that's certainly not necessary. Tell you what, I got to take a commercial break. When we come back, I want to ask you about some of the ingredients that you see on the bags in these dog foods, all right? Okay. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Bayland Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Bayland Country at DNB. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Bayland Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Balin Country at DNB Supply. At DNB Supply, we know that what's inside counts. That's why we dish out Neutrina's NatureWise Medicated Chick Starter Grower Feed. Neutrina's NatureWise Medicated Chick Starter Feed has an exclusive blend of nutrients to support a chick's immune system and overall health, even preventing coccidiosis. Raise healthy chicks with Neutrina's NatureWise Medicated Chick Starter Feed. Available now at your favorite D&B. Well, Brett, now that we're back, I want to ask you about ingredients a little bit. So you see different pet foods, and I guess cat food is included in this as well, where they off, they advertise different ingredients. It could be beef, it could be fish, it could be chicken, or a variety of the three, or even more than that. Do you see any advantages to different types of ingredients? I really don't. I mean, one of the things that people look at a lot on the dog food labels and cat food labels is protein. And that makes sense because protein is the most expensive portion of the food. So what they see on the side of the bag is, is actually, it's not really a protein measurement. It's called crude protein, which is really a measurement of nitrogen content to the feed. And the reason that that's important is, is that regardless of the animal, it's, these are usually animal sources of protein primarily, as you mentioned. And as long as they provide the correct amino acids, and amino acids are the building blocks of protein. And dogs and cats have what we call essential amino acids and non-essential. And so essential amino acids, what that means is, is that the dog's body cannot assimilate those from others. In other words, it has to be provided in its raw form. And non-essential amino acids, the dog or cat's body can assimilate those. So it's very important that a dog food or a cat food provide the right amount of essential amino acids. 
And that's really especially true of cats. Cats have more essential amino acids than dogs do. In other words, these are proteins that the cat's body cannot create on its own. Mm -hmm. And one of them, just as an example, would be taurine. And we know that taurine deficiencies in cats can cause blindness. It can cause heart problems. And that's a situation where cats are, are, uh, are unique. But we could take other examples, but that's just one uh, that, that's an example of, of cats not being really little dogs. Uh, people sometimes ask me if, if cats can eat their dog's food. Well, it isn't going to hurt your cat to eat its dog, the dog's food, but it certainly needs to be primarily on cat food. But the answer to your question is, does it matter what the protein source is? I don't think it makes a lot of difference, as long as it provides the correct amount of essential amino acids. Now, what about soft dog food versus hard dog food? You know, the, the soft stuff that comes in the can. It, when do you recommend that, or do you, or is there a difference? You know, we, we recommend it primarily to increase water intake in dogs. As far as the palatability preference, I mean, that's something that, you know, I, I, I would just say maybe up to the individual I see dogs oftentimes that people have been feeding uh, maybe table scraps a little too much. And sometimes, and of course, my recommendation is to stop that. And so when we're trying to get a dog to transition from table scraps to a regular dog food, then sometimes we'll go with the moist food because it, it more it, it's more like the, the table scraps maybe that they were getting. Sometimes if we want to increase their water content or, you know, of the food, because they may not be taking in enough water, especially for cats, that can be important. So if, for instance, the cat has impaired kidney function and we want to increase their water intake, it's, it's difficult to get a cat to drink more water just because we want them to. Mm-hmm. So one of the best ways we can do that is to put them on a moist food. Aside from though, those reasons, I prefer dry food. For one thing, it's usually less expensive because it doesn't have to be processed in a can and added Mm -hmm. water and water doesn't have to be shipped around. So my preference would be dry food most of the time. And along those same lines, when we're talking about dry dog food, the chunk size, the the size of the the kernels of feed, I guess, is probably the wrong way to put it. But what do you recommend there? Does that make much of a difference uh, when it comes to the size of the dog, the chunk size they're ingesting? You know, we've used chunk size to, for instance, get some small dogs, sometimes I have problems with them eating too fast and that causing uh, gastrointestinal disturbances. And, I, and one of the strategies could be to increase the chunk size so the dog actually has to process that a little more in the form of chewing. So as far as that's concerned, uh, it, it, may, it may make a difference. There's been some studies done that sometimes people are aware of this problem in dogs called bloat. And there seems to be some kind of a correlation between smaller size kibble and larger kibble there. Mm-hmm. And that's probably outside of the scope of this conversation. So there, there could be some reasons why I would pick one or the other, but for the most part, it doesn't make a lot of difference to me. And then how about joint health? Are there actually supplements in dog or cat foods we can buy that will help our older dogs with their joint health? There is. More recently, we've seen, uh, I, I know Purina, for instance, took this technology to their prescription lines of foods. And that is the supplementation of certain types of fatty acids, and that has a positive impact on joint health. People are probably most familiar with the products like glucosamine and so on. Uh And I think that glucosamine is one of those things that it's questionable really how helpful it can be. Some people will, will swear by it. Studies haven't really shown that it's been that beneficial. It just doesn't seem to hold its weight very well in studies. But 
the problem I have with glucosamine in the food is that, and this is, again, maybe getting outside of the scope of what we're talking about, but it's usually a fairly small amount, maybe an insignificant amount. It's enough to, for them to put on the label as a selling point that it may contain glucosamine. But in my opinion, if glucosamine, if you believe that glucosamine is really helpful, it's probably better supplemented a different way. So if you're buying a, a food because it has glucosamine in it, I, I'd say that's probably questionable and you're better off spending your money on a glucosamine supplement if you were after that. But the fatty acid supplementation or in fatty acid enhancement maybe is a better term. I think that really does have some good studies behind it. And so certainly something I recommend, especially in our, our aging dogs where, you know, they have to eat something anyway, they might as well eat something that benefits their joint health. Mm -hmm. As long as there isn't some other, you know, special food that they need to be on that that's a good choice for older dogs. And it is more expensive generally, but it's not as expensive as just feeding whatever regular food you're feeding and then enhancing that with, with some sort of an anti-inflammatory or some other drug. So I'd rather treat that problem naturally than, than with medication if possible. All right. Well, thank you so much for everything today, and I really appreciate your time, and I always enjoy speaking with you. It's great information. Thanks, Brett. You're very welcome. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.